Hello, hello, hello. This is the Bars M Podcast with your host, Brent Gaines. Uh, this is podcast number two. Uh, so we're just getting started. Uh, thank, uh, thanks for everyone that's tuned in and listening. Uh, if you haven't yet, uh, please tune in to podcast number one, which gives a, a nice background on myself and uh, kind of the goals and aspirations we have here at the Bars M Podcast. Um, but moving on, I, I'm really excited today. I have one of my favorite people in the industry. Uh, to really get this thing started, Mr. Ken Erickson with Informa uh, in Memphis, and, and Ken's been a longtime friend of mine, um, someone uh, that I've known for a while, and, and someone I reached out to when I had the original idea for the Bar Gym Podcast, so he's been, uh, he's been there uh, with me and giving advice and consultation. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce Ken Erickson. Hey, thanks, Brent, and uh, welcome to Memphis. We're excited to have you here in this hot and steamy day uh, and here in July. But uh, it's exciting to have the podcast come off the ground and, and to really see it uh, come together and uh, have another source for uh, um, the industry to come to and really to have other participants uh, join your podcast and, and be a part of the conversation and the dialogue that goes on every day out there, but in a, in a very different uh, media format. Uh, so it's fun to uh, be here, uh, with, have you with us here today, and yeah. um, uh, welcome to Memphis, yeah. to our office here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, as we get into this, uh, Ken, um, uh, why don't you tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your background, and uh, a little bit about Informa. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, Senior Vice President uh, here at Informa uh, Economics, uh, IEG Vantage, uh, and I'll go into that in a moment here, we're going some, through some changes here. Uh, been with the company since 2001 when it was Sparks Companies, came in as a transport, senior transportation analyst, uh, rose up through the ranks running, uh, uh, setting up and expanding their transportation offerings and then going in and leading, co-leading our uh, consulting practice uh, and then uh, formed our energy and transporta- uh, transportation industrial energies group and then uh, through the years uh, took on greater responsibility and forming our client advisory development team. And that's really the, uh, those of us who go on the road, spend time with clients, talk markets, sit down with people in their boardrooms and conferences, events, one-on-one, kind of give, hey, here's the price risk we're seeing in the market. And, and the beautiful thing about transportation is that one, everyone needs it. Two, that uh, with you're not trading grain, you're not trading coal, you're not trading uh, uh, crude oil, you're trading freight. And, and for us, uh, we've, transportation's been a long time uh, program for us. And our founder, Dr. Willard Sparks, uh, really saw that and knew that as a trader. And they acquired uh, the publication Barge Fleet Profile back in the uh, mid-1990s. And uh, we've been uh, handling it now. It's in its 32nd year of publication, I believe. Oh, wow. Survey of all the that. industry. Yeah. Uh, we can talk more about that. But uh, it, it's, it's because transportation is so important to, transporta- uh, to commodities and to flows. It's everything, and then a part of that is infrastructure. It comes with the territory, too. So I also now, again, head our energy and transportation team, uh, as well as our client advisory. Uh, Before that, I was at uh, USDA. I was with National Ag Statistics Service, setting national estimates on commodities. And prior to that, with their transportation group. uh, And then from the West, I hail from the West Coast, spent some time uh, at Washington State University in grad school in a transportation-focused program in Ag Econ. Uh, with the great Ken Cassavant, and then uh, uh, before that, uh, my family are along Shoreman on the West Coast. I've got a practical experience oh, cool. there too, and I'll keep the swearing to a minimal. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it may you know for a lot of our our, uh, 
uh, our listeners, uh, growing up in a shipyard myself, it was uh, sometimes the swearing. That's how you get your point across, right? <laughs> so, uh, but no, I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, well, hey, obviously there's a lot going. On. We're in a huge cyclical business. Uh, the markets are up and down. Uh, the barges, uh, the barge markets up and down. Freight market, etc. What, what's um, what's the latest kind of in the industry, uh, commodity wise and uh, forecasting? Yeah, and certainly you hit it. I mean, cyclical is this business, and unfortunately, it seems like all the cyclicals are coming together at the same time. And uh, both it's good and it's bad. There's opportunity and there's risk. And uh, you know, for some that are diversified in this industry, the operators and shippers to cover themselves when certain parts have uh, difficulties or not. But if I think about uh, just in, in the overall situation, we finally got navigation on the upper river resuming. Uh, it's been since last October we've yeah. had problems yeah. and it's been a long slog. Uh, at the same time- Is this time, the worst, the worst you've seen it? Uh, I know, I've been in the industry 20 years. I think it's the worst certainly I've seen for yeah. an extended period of time. Yeah, I mean, 93 was one year that people, what's interesting when the floods this spring started, everyone had their own analog year that they wanted to go to. 93 came up right. over and over and over again. Folks try to use 2011. Uh, people forgot, I remember the That's most. right. <laughs> and, and, and people forgot about June 2008 as well, when the entire month was shut off with extreme yeah. rains. And as, we, as we like to say, you see one flood, you see one flood. This year we've seen such a diversity of floods on the Ohio, on the uppers of course, and even down here in the lower mess here in the Memphis area, although most of our water comes off the Ohio River, but this is as worse as it's been, it's been as prolonged as it's been, and the gauge readings have been at their highest levels in many of the key navigation areas as long as they've ever been uh, recorded. So yeah. this is the most significant, and certainly uh, the shippers and the carriers know it. And quite frankly, we, we serve 300 and some clients every day we're communicating with through uh, our platform uh, on risk management, on the, our communication of uh, daily commentary in the markets, uh, our changes to our forecasts, uh, to conversations we have, uh, and whatever. And inevitably, the conversation around Mississippi River comes up. And, and our clients run the globe. And, and whether you're in Asia, you're in Europe, uh, you're in South America, we get questions about transportation. Hey, when's the river gonna reopen? When's it gonna normalize? And, and so the river is a key feature to buyers around the world who are looking to source their commodities because they've got critters to feed, plants to run, and they can't stock out. So they need to plan 60 to 90 days out. So this river is a backbone, not just for our economy, but to really the lifestyles of many people around the world that are looking to feed, to energize, and, and to really uh, house people because so many things that we offer, the river supplies them. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, this is about as bad as it gets. Now we finally got things flowing. Uh, having been on a, um, actually was able to uh, join the uh, Associated Branch Pilots recently and take a vessel out into the Gulf and bring one on. And the captain of the ship we brought on, uh, it's on its fourth journey, a uh, brand new ship, uh, came up the river to take soybeans on to take back to China. Uh, that vessel's been sitting for two weeks waiting for beans to arrive and a spout to go under. And so now that we got the upper river going, we've got commodities flowing, we're starting to see the ratchet up on soybeans really start to go. And, and that brings me to the other point about how, how the health is going on the trade side of things with the US-China trade. Our soybean exports essentially went to zero to China, though they've picked up here recently, and China's made some token 
um, purchases, maybe for sure. goodwill. And there's some price opportunities, and we see some. Just today, we're talking in our morning meeting about a price opportunity. The spreads are narrowing between the U.S. and South America. China's looking to buy some stuff, so it may be good timing. But we're getting some moved out of the country, and we're ratcheting up the end of the marketing year as we go. But that's, that's been hurtful, especially to the Pacific Northwest exporters for the uh, facilities. But for the center Gulf, they picked up some other markets. But with the high water, everything came to a standstill. Fertilizer's been sitting on the river waiting to get distributed. Farmers haven't been able to get into the fields because of the water and the rain that we had. And um, having visited a number of areas last week in Illinois and driving up uh, uh, 55 along the river, uh, you can just see pockets of destruction. Don't know if it's swaths of devastation, but you go to the Eastern Corn Belt, you got problems. Uh, and, and you're going to have some problems trying to get this crop coming out. So we got a long ways to go for the sure. crop season. And then, of course, on the coal, because the low water on the lower miss. Uh, you have a 42-foot draft on the, uh, out in the Southwest Pass. Mm -hmm. You can't go to 45, 47, and now you're restricting how much can go, and the U.S. is not competitive on coal or energy, uh, at least on the coal side. And so you're having a, you have all these different challenges here that are happening simultaneously. That's putting a lot of pressure on right. the system. Right. Um, well, and I had read and talked to several folks that, uh, well, I think it came out in the River Transport News a couple of weeks ago that, uh, obviously the the dry side is off uh, it, it, as we as you said but the the liquid side has actually had a nice increase this year uh, I think 15% give or take is what uh, River Transport News was uh, reporting which is obviously good for the barge industry it's something to suck up bottoms uh, but was curious uh, on the coal side and talking to people they thought the that the export coal would continue to be uh, decent uh, domestically it's obviously you know it is what it is at this point but, uh, I mean, do you see that continuing on the export side for coal? Yeah, and um, a group that reports into me, Doyle Trading Consultants, does a bang-up job looking at the market. And, you know, coming into the new year uh, for 2019, saw very strong for 2019 and pretty strong going to first half 2020. And things have sort of moderated from there because of the high water not and the cost just went up. You can't load the ships as heavy as you want. Uh, you were saying that earlier. Yeah, and, and so it, it's created some problems. Now we're getting some competition in some other areas around the world. Um, people are trying to look at uh, different programs to mitigate uh, uh, emissions and, and such. But nonetheless, coal is still a very important part. And we still got some good legs, but it's softening. And we right. may be at the peak, uh, or we may have passed that peak for, starting the export. To, for that export yeah. right now. And, and that's going to be a challenge as we go forward here. And, and you're right, the domestic, if I look at the next few years here, it's just not pretty to see the volume. Yeah, no question. Moving. Yeah. You, you know, you know my background and, yeah. you know, when, when I first got in the business on the towing side, we were moving, uh, you know, primarily coal uh, on the Tennessee River into uh, facilities for TVA. And yeah. over the course of five years, that tonnage was cut in half and then uh, another half, basically. So we lost, you know, roughly 75% of that tonnage. Um, you, you know, that was around 2010, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, and, and obviously, you know, a lot of our listeners, the barge owners and the operators out there, that was, that was sucking up a lot of power and a lot of bottoms at yeah. that point. Well, and, and on the liquid side, you did get that kind of Brent uh, WTI spread that widened out. It was getting very close to $10. And when you start widening that spread, there's arbitrage opportunities. We're seeing quite a bit that was going to rail, so tank cars was picked up really, really well. Now that, the, the Brent WTI spread, that's really what our liquid, our petroleum carriers look at, right? That spread determines, hey, things are gonna pick up and things 
and maybe are going to slow down, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, just recently, it's narrowed here a bit, and okay. we're just watching it um, late last week with our team here, and uh, that's something we're watching, and maybe we're starting to see that collapse a bit. Partly, you've got the issues in Iran, and then you've got mm -hmm. uh, Venezuela is a persistent uh, challenge there. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. continues to crank out more crude. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, recounts were up a little bit in the Gulf here, down a little bit in the basins, but cost of production in, in our basins have gotten cheaper. Uh, OPEC is trying to still restrict what uh, is going on, and you've got Russia. So there's a lot of challenges out there. And of course, you had the terrorist attacks on two ships uh, sure. out there. But it was kind of a yawner. We saw crude prices sort of go sideways, and I think that's kind just of a non-event from a market perspective. And because testimony to the U.S. Uh, producer who can produce yeah. low cost and a lot of oil that can come yeah. to the market. Yeah. So when you get those spreads, you get the arbitrage, you get to the river, and meanwhile, distillates and, and products and uh, uh, other things moving liquid-wise have been doing pretty well to support the export right. market too. Right. Good. Good. Um, what what's, uh, what's your thoughts? Uh, if, from, uh, and you had mentioned your bars profile, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, tell the listeners about that, that uh, some that don't know about it. But, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously, la I guess it was last year, we were kind of, we, we were long probably a couple thousand hoppers, uh, long a couple, several hundred tanks, and probably long horsepower. Mm -hmm. um, I think from what I'm hearing from, you know, my friends and clients that that's, it's, it's getting back to normal. Obviously, Jeffo closed, so that's tightened supply a little bit. But what's on the barge side, the boat side, how do things look? Yeah, and, and I think we're still long on, on cupboards, certainly long on opens, though. The opens were doing well because the coal program was really strong, good long-haul moves, yeah, good ton miles. The, the challenge is now you've got the coal exports falling off. You've got uh, some fleet that really needs to be retired on the open side. Covered side, we've essentially retired that 1970s, early 80s fleet. It's, there may be a few hundred, uh, maybe 200 at most that are left. And if you run it up to, to uh, 1993 with the, this, the, the, the number of barges in operation, there's about 700. So that's maybe 5, 6% of the 12,900 covered hoppers in the fleet today. And so the next tranche is when you get to the mid-1990s and you get to 97, the big spike that we had there, and then you get into uh, the 2000s, especially 2006, 7, 8, and all the way up till 2016, we had spikes along those years. And now, with to your point, when Jeff Boat uh, closed, uh, though you've got Arcosa with Mandeville opening up maybe this month, uh, maybe next month, and start putting out, uh, and then you've got, of course, Heartland is cranking out a number of uh, barges are not focused completely on any one type, but uh, you've got some diversification. But you know, I, think, I think Heartland's going to look at building some tens too, tens right. barrel barges, so, yeah. which which would be new for them and uh, and another source for the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got that competition. The tanks are interesting because you've got a number of different builders that are building specialty ones or, or different sizes and stuff. So that's that's pretty exciting in that regard. Yeah. The, the drives you're just limited. Yeah. And and not likely you're going to get another builder to come in anytime soon to agree. Uh, agree. Buy anywhere. We tried that in 2006 and seven. Yeah. Didn't well, work. that was when. Uh, you know, I was uh, uh, working for Jabe's and we were building and uh, hoppers were not something we were interested in. We just couldn't, uh, you know, look, you can't compete, yeah. you know, if you can't do it at, at, at the right number and uh, efficiency. But, you know, that's why we focused on the specialty vessels, the decks and, uh, and your tanks, et cetera, and, and small, and small boats. Right. So, 
Um, well, I think even on the on, then on the covers, we, we got to go through and get some of the. It's it's fairly young. It aged a little bit the last two years, uh, and, and we got to retire a few. Start getting the retirement program here in the next two to three Is years. Is that happening? Are you seeing it? Uh, slowly. Yeah. I, it, it's not big right now, and there's not much to retire. Okay. You know, the question is how much of this a, this fleet's getting aged, other than sitting in the water. I know you can age, but you're not getting beat up as much because you just yeah, don't get turns because you're yep. sitting. However, however, well, and that sucked up a lot of empties, frankly. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because you just you need you need the barges, and they're scattered everywhere. Yeah. You need them to be scattered because yeah. when things open up, you need to run. I think on the other side of this, though, you're going to be in a replacement mode at some point as we come forward. Because the current trade situation situation aside, the way agriculture is with exports, we're going to probably we're going to probably be in a transition period for two to three years. Absent some magic pill, two to three years from today. Yeah. You think? yeah. Okay. And I think, and absent China coming in and saying, "All right, as part of some good trade deal, or a trade deal, if it's good, it's always, <laughs> you know, if it's good, then no one really wins." So yeah. you know, if people. But if they come in and do some big purchases of ag and it's sustained, uh, then that could change some of the the metrics around that and could suck some things up there and some spare capacity, but. You just don't know until it happens. Sure. You can circumspect all you can. Hurry up and, and wait type thing. Exactly. Yeah. But there's going to be a replacement need, at least to keep steady, because two, three things. One, the world population keeps growing. Two, um, the, the consumers keep getting uh, um, better cost of living for themselves globally. And once you taste uh, something good, you're not going to go back. And I don't care if it's a, a refrigeration to good food to good clothes to a good vehicle. You just don't go backwards in that regard. And three, the, you know, uh, um, the kind of the middle class expansion and such. And, and three, that uh, we're a, a good source to, to uh, supply a lot of product, although we've got global competition. And when we have problems on infrastructure, our competitors pick it up. The, the, the flip side to that, though, is our competition. And this, in China today, is this African swine fever. And I think we'll probably want to talk a little bit on that here yeah. in a moment and spend some time because that one, um, it could have some problems because what it is, it's African swine fevers attacking the hog herd in China. China's hog herd is, a, I don't know, anywhere from 450 to 500 million hogs. And Whoa. you can't take find enough hogs in the rest of the world to add to that. And right. they get the biggest pig farm there. And about 20% of their hogs have been cold because of the swine fever. It's, it's a terminal for the pig. It doesn't affect humans but it spreads really fast and it's now spread into North Korea. The question is when could it show up in South Korea? It's gone into Vietnam. We've seen it show up in Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, a few other places. Uh, Russia went through this 10 years ago and are still trying, uh, trying to um, clean up their mess around that. So there's a number of challenges for them to try to go through and clean. The problem is it, it could be five years Two to, five, two to five years before you get it cleaned out of the system. Now in China, what they're trying to do, so they you reduce the demand for feeding, for yeah. soybean meal and corn. The flip side of this is, when does the big vertical integrated companies come back in right. and really start to build contained facilities to protect it? It's really the small backyard operations. It may have come through some feed ingredients and it spreads fast. So it's gonna take, and that contributes to the sort of malaise sure. that's going on. Sure. So, we watch that with cautionary note around so what it kind of hit at once, given our domestic issues and, and what's going on in China too. South America, how's the how's the crop in South America? Well, South America, their bean crop for Brazil was really good. 
uh, Argentina came back after having a bad year. Uh, the corn crop in Argentina came back. Now the winter corn crop in Aust uh, Brazil is being harvested now. It's coming back pretty good and, and getting to be a lot better as it moves forward here. So we're looking at that as being um, competitive, but we've got other problems, certainly in the United States. You've got some dryness in northern China where they produce a lot of corn. Uh, you've got warm, dry weather in France that is it hitting the crop, the corn crop as it's tasseling now. That could be a problem. Russia's got some problems. Uh, we're looking at a situation here that we could see uh, corn become very uh, bullish, uh, even more so than what it is. And that could certainly create uh, some opportunities that people say, look, uh, if we're going to run out of supplies, we better come to the U.S. Because the U.S. is still the big supplier. Right. So those are some things that you know we got to keep watching. There's one thing about production agriculture: you get <laughs> one chance to put it in the ground, and hopefully right. one chance to get it off exactly. the ground. And, uh, exactly. It's not guaranteed, as we know this year. Exactly. Hey, well, back to one thing on the bar side. Um, obviously, we've had uh, tariffs, and, and we talked a little bit about that. But steel prices are obviously uh, impacting um, our industry in, in terms of new builds. Uh, you know, I'm hearing 20, 25 percent uh, increase in steel prices uh, on new builds uh, from just two years ago. Uh, what, what are you hearing about that? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and in our survey, we saw a 10-year value of a, a 10-year-old covered hopper barge, the vintage value, if you will, jump quite a bit uh, from year to year. It was really surprising to see that big of a jump. Uh, got close to 400,000 up from, I think, 355,000 mm -hmm. the year before. And that, again, that's part of our barge fleet profile survey. Mm -hmm that we do, it's in uh, um, our bargefleet.com. People can check that out. Okay. But uh, we're, we're hearing that too, that people are watching the steel prices uh, and, and with the, the tariffs that have been in place, uh, domestic producers are trying to put more steel out there, uh, trying to get more scrap steel moving through. I think we've been, uh, one benefit, we've been moving more scrap steel, I, I think on the river is yeah. what I've been hearing. But That's right. I, I, a, a lot of uh, you know friends and, uh, and clients have said, well, we're just, we're kind of holding, fortunately, that I guess maybe the one good thing of all the high water and, and everything, uh, they don't necessarily need to build. We've been oversupplied, and, and again, not that we ever want that, but yeah. we, we do, and uh, so we're not necessarily building a lot of new uh, new hoppers and, uh, and new tanks. I think it's my understanding the guys that are building are kind of replacement uh, for, their, for their fleet now. It, it really is, and, it, and you, you kind of hope so for the health of the carriers and the operators out there, and quite frankly, for some of the shippers uh, you want the replacement because they want to you know the idea of having these vetting rules in place and, and we keep hearing more and more especially in the liquid look I don't want a barge that's more than 20 years old and well Carmen yeah. these barges are built to go a long time and uh, when you're putting they're restrictions good on them they are <laughs> yeah. they, they're built still really some well. really good barges out there that's 20 years old yeah yeah and so you know those vetting rules are good until someone absolutely positively needs a barge tomorrow, right? Right, right. <laughs> So put that with a grain of salt in there. Absolutely. So the steel prices have been important in, in daily pricing on that. People are looking at what's the escalators and how they want to put in there. But I think it's another barometer together with, uh, you've taken out, um, you know, say one third of the production capacity you had or, or more or whatever Jeff Boat had. So that puts a barometer on trying to really build out a program. Sure, sure. Absent some demand shock, because uh, we're not expecting any com sudden shrinkage of the fleet out there, you know. Right, right. and, and I, I don't think there's any, um, any huge increase coming on the barge side. Now, the boat side, I, I, I think most, uh, most operators, uh, you know, sub-M is, is here. We're in the sub-M world, so everyone's thinking about their boats now and getting them inspected. And, uh, but as far as I, I haven't seen a huge increase in new builds, I know there's, there's been 
you know, several on the Gulf Coast and, and whatnot, but uh, I don't know that uh, we've seen uh, the huge impact of sub-M just yet. Uh, I don't know what do you, what you think or I, what you're hearing. It may have been just in the last five years we saw a number of rebuilds yeah. or new builds that come yeah. on. Good point. Uh, in a certain size, and in the 6,000, and then a little bit smaller, and yep. maybe Good down point. to three. Uh, I, I guess the one to watch is in the less than three, maybe down to 2,000 horsepower. What becomes of some of these smaller fleets and, and the capital risk that they have around that sure. and going through the sub M? Uh, of course. And that, that's a good point. The majority of, uh, of folks that I've talked to, uh, they seem to think uh, the, real, the real issue may be in that 2,000 to 3,000 horsepower range. Yeah. Uh, that, that 1,800 range may be a small harbor uh, and fleet guy. And, uh, you know, I know from an insurance perspective, I, I've advised several clients. Um, you know, hey, listen, you've got a 40-year-old asset here, you know, the insurance uh, will be X, but, uh, you know, it, it may be worth looking at a newer asset, um, you know, because the value of that new asset certainly is more from a cap CapEx perspective, but uh, from an insurance perspective, the underwriters actually look at that as as a more as a better asset, obviously, well, and, I think, and I more think, insurable. And, and from an insurer, they're looking at the, the, the age of the whole mm -hmm. and not just the rebuild date, right? Right. And, Right. There's a lot of risk around that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there, you know, it's like if if you have an old hopper and it's it's getting picked up and dropped at various points, it's going to get banged up quite a bit, and uh, it's more likely to be in, on dry dock several times a year, uh, you know, because it's just going to get, you know, it's going to need some minor repairs or even major repairs. And very similar with boats, and and of course boats are as one of the old timers told me they're. It's essentially a house that's on a steel hull sitting in water and it dies a little every day if you don't take care of it, you know? So it, not just the hull, but the inside, the engine, the electronics and all that stuff it is, it, you know, it takes a lot of money to keep those things going. Well, in fact, funny you mentioned that about, I don't know, a year, two years ago, uh, we were talking to someone in the industry and I, I didn't even think about this, I don't know why, it says a barge loses a ton a year. And so if you're going oh, I heard that. 230 yeah, ton barge, yeah. and you go over 30 years, 25 years. And so we're sitting up with uh, Brian Mueller and team, and yeah. we're talking about that. We pulled out the calculator and figured out how much tons of steel are just coming off barges every day yeah. and floating down the river. Yeah. Uh, now, it, in the big picture, it's not that big, but when you add it all up, you go, sure. So to that point, sure. about every day we're losing just a little bit because yeah. it, it's like when you buy a house. It's fun to buy that first day, then it's maintenance from oh, here on out absolutely, right, every day. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and to your point too, you know, one of the things that uh, that I did at James is I, I worked in our paint facility, and, and you know, one of the things we, the advantages of painting the bars is you add life to that barge, to that asset, and uh, um, and it was uh, it was incredible, you know, to see you know the difference. You know, we'd have customers tell us, hey, you know, this this barge produced X, then we painted it, and we got X more years and X more revenue. So. You know, it's a real, it's a real number. Yeah, and let's face it too. I mean, uh, the the technology in the the coatings industry—they've done a, a great amount of work. Better coatings coming out, better protection on the equipment. So, yeah, great point. Yeah. I mean, there are some good things that have gone on there, yeah. and we it kind of gets overlooked. But I think those are very important, and it'd be great to see some research that the coatings industry has done sure, on that. Sure. Um, well, look, we, I knew it would happen. I'd have you on and boom, we would, we'd get off on some things and we, we'd, we'd hit 30 minutes pretty quickly. Um, just closing up, how, uh, listeners that don't know you, how can they get a hold of you? Um, you know, 
what you know is it email is it a website you know how to how to get a hold of you how to tap into Informa yeah that'd be great and uh, as part of that um, we were officially acquired by a new uh, uh, owner on July first IHS Market uh, and it's gonna be exciting to come on board with them we're still known as Informa for the next six months or so we're gonna be transitioning and it's a it's a great transition that's taking place here very uh, uh, amenable on both sides. Uh, but we're excited to see where we're going to go uh, with our new owner and uh, things coming together. Uh, but uh, they can call me, 901-766-4476, uh, 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 they can go to bargefleet.com and they'll find my contact information on there as well. Uh, look at the, uh, uh, both for the Bargefleet profile, which is a- When does that come out? It comes out about mid-March every year. Okay. And, we, and that's a survey of the operators, how many barges were built by year, by type. Uh, we asked some other questions, how many turns did you get, uh, some other uh, questions that we put in there, uh, and again, 32 years. The other one is the barge commodity profile report. That's the supply and demand. Uh, so we break the barges apart. We put- Mid-March as well. That's yeah. mid-March. Okay. We're putting the demand against the barge type. So you've got, we're a fundamental house. The world's got a balance. We wanna show the pressures that are in the system. We've developed the pre barge pressure indices for each barge type. Chocker block full of data in there uh, of the commodities moving on the inland waterways. And we also have a twice a year publish a inland fact book. It's a long-term outlook. So we're just about done with uh, the one for July here. And that gets the update for our survey and, and the, new, the historical data. And that gives a five-year outlook. And then in December, we roll forward one more year in any updates that we've seen and we uh, modify our outlooks that we'd see both on what are the drivers that are uh, for demand uh, and, and what's the fleet response need to be from retirements to new builds to accommodate the fleet size we need. Look at the towboat sector, any kind of regulations and, and really have, again, chocker block full of uh, material there. But we also have a full consulting shop, due diligence, market studies among a whole bunch of areas that we do uh, U.S. and uh, globally. But there's a lot of ways to get a hold of us and uh, happy to talk to sure. people. So. Well, hey, my pleasure to have you, man. I, I'm, I'm so excited. I, obviously, as I told the listeners, you, uh, you've you been a great resource for me uh, since I've known you. And uh, I'm, really, uh, I'm really happy that you participated and I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Brent. Likewise. And yeah. uh, looking forward to what we do. Uh, it's been a great relationship with you all these years. And it's only getting better. Great. All right. All right. Thank you. Congratulations on, uh, on launching this. All right. I Bar appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.